morning, friends. How are you? Good, good. If we have not met, my name is Charlie Salamone, lead pastor here. We've been in a series on the Holy Spirit. I'm going to actually begin with a verse on that note. Uh, right pretty much where we left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. So, if there is one point that I've been trying to make for months now, it is just this. The spirit that God's given us is a spirit given to us to drink. The point is that God is to be experienced. Not only believed in, not only obeyed, uh, experienced. That's why he gave us his spirit. And questions we're asking is, what is the nature of this experience? What does it mean to experience God? What does it mean to experience him internally? And what, how does that manifest externally? Those are the things that we've been discussing. Um, but first, rewind a little bit, I suppose. Uh, this week... I had the opportunity to speak at McGill campus, which was exciting. Um, I very much get excited when I can share with people who are, uh, who are coming from different backgrounds, people who aren't believers. I was once a philosophy student who would go to class and go to events like this just to argue with Christians. And well... Um, much to my delight, there was people who came who were not Christians, and some people had some really good questions. There was a young man who, uh, who raised his hand, and he asked, uh, he said that he was a Muslim, and Muslims believe in one God. And, well, Christians do as well. We believe in one God. But one of the things he said was, he said, you talk about God being God, God the Father, I guess, if you want to say it that way. And then you also talk about Jesus being the Son of God, but you say Jesus is also God. And he said, doesn't that mean that there are, there's two gods? It's actually a good question. Um, you know, the, if you're familiar with Christian teaching, we actually believe that there is God the Father, there's God the Son, and then there's God the Holy Spirit. Three distinct people but at the same time, we believe in one God. One God, yet three people. And I realized that sounds kind of like a, what are you talking about there? <laughs> um, well, what we're talking about is the nature of God. This is, this is about as important as anything I can say. For us to know God, for us to experience God, which is what this whole conversation this series is all about experiencing God when I talk about experiencing God I'm not simply talking about just having like a really good feeling although it is experiencing God is is a good feeling I'm talking about actually experiencing the nature of God who he is and this concept that God is three in one he's one in character. He's one in essence. Jesus said, if you've seen me, 
You've seen the Father. The scriptures tell us that Jesus is the exact imprint of the Father. Here's the word that's on my mind when it comes to the character of God, the nature of God. If we want to know God, this is the word. Oneness. God is one. We certainly believe in one God, but this one God has existed forever in three distinct people, in relationship, in unity, in oneness. That is his, his perfection, is this three in one. Okay, so what does that have to do with us? What does that have to do with us experiencing God? I'm glad you asked. So we'll make it to 1 Corinthians just... Hold on. In the very beginning of the Bible, so this is like 101, this is like beginner's level. What's this all about? In the very beginning, we see page one of chapter one of the first book of the Bible. The scriptures say, God said, let us make man in our own image. And there's just something very fascinating that I don't have time to get into where the word for God uh, in Hebrew, Elohim is actually a plural word, but there's this huge point all through the Old Testament. God is one, God is one, God is one. Um, and it's just interesting. Let us, God said, let us make man in our own image. There's a little bit of that like plural, but one. So anyways, God said, let us make man in our own image. Page one, chapter one. And what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, it's very interesting because then you turn the page, page 2, chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, um, man and woman, and it says the two shall become one flesh. We see a little bit. Right away, right away we see a little bit about God's intention for people. Oneness. To reflect his image is to bear that image of oneness. Oneness is so central to his character, his nature. We are called and created to bear his image, to show who God is, to, to see God and reflect God. So the two shall become one. Perfect. Well, unfortunately, then you turn the page and then you get to chapter three, right? Chapter three is when everything goes, uh, sin enters the world. And when sin enters the world, what is it that is, is shattered, is cut, is, is attacked? What is it that is, that is lost, so to speak, is that, that oneness that we were created for. Oneness. God is one. He's dwelt one forever. We were made to be one. Husband and wife made to be one. God's people made to be one. Sin entered the world, and what happened? Adam and Eve started hiding from God. That oneness, cut. They used to have fellowship with God. They used to walk with him, cut. Oneness, cut. What happened here? Adam, God says to Adam, and Adam essentially says, he points to his wife and he says, it was her fault. <laughs> um, uh, the man is blaming his wife for his own problems. Oneness in marriage was cut. Sin into the world, oneness, cut. Oh no, turn the page. Turn the page. Uh, chapter four. Brother kills brother. Once more, we see oneness cut. The oneness that should be is not. And so now, look around, read the newspaper, nation invades nation, murders, all the things that we see, not only in the newspaper, but if we're honest with ourselves and our own families, you know, um, brothers and sisters and children and husbands and wives, the oneness that ought to be is not. 
I don't have to convince you, I don't have to convince you that things are not as they ought. And that's very interesting because a lot of people will swear that they don't believe in anything. I mean, I was once an atheist. I know what that's like. People are, I'm an atheist. All I believe in rocks. It's all rocks. It's all dirt. Yet nevertheless, you cannot shake this feeling that things are not as they ought. When you read about nation invading nation and you see um, heartbreak and divorce and pain, so often we can say things are not as they should be. Things are not as they ought. That ought not to happen. That ought not to happen. And in, in, in doing so, we're showing a little reminiscence of what we were created for. We're seeing the world not operating in, in that oneness and we're feeling the disconnect of what should be, of what ought to be. Oneness. We are created for, for oneness because that is who God is. We're made in his image, oneness. Okay, let's, let's return to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The passage I read, I'm going to read it a little more in context. I'm going to read verse 11 to 14. Pay attention because there's a repeated word here and it's not hard to find. All these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So I don't have to show you there's a word that's being repeated for good reason. One, one, one. So 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the conversation we really started last week that we're going to continue for some weeks is the conversation about what is called the spiritual gifts. And if you don't know what that is, um, just stay with us. We'll talk more and more about it week after week. But what the spiritual gifts are is as we've been given the Holy Spirit, Oh, I should rewind. The world is not as it ought. The world is not as it ought. Sin entered the world. What did God do to restore oneness? To restore what was broken as he sent his son, Jesus. And by dying on the cross and paying for our sins, that guilt, that shame, the things that, that divide us and the things that internally in our hearts make us run and hide from God, like Adam and Eve ran and hid from God. The reason we run and hide from God is because of that sense of guilt and shame because the, the guilt is real. And the reason for shame is, is real. We've sinned. And Jesus came, lived a perfect life, but even though he was perfect, he took our sin and he paid for it on the cross so that we can stand without guilt. Our guilt was nailed to Jesus. And so that was God's intention to restore what was broken. And in coming, he forgave us and he also gave us his spirit. Very important. He gave us his spirit. And well, part of that giving of the spirit is those who believe in him would be given spiritual gifts. And what this is, is different manifestations of the Spirit that would give us abilities to serve one another, abilities to bless the church, abilities to help strengthen what God is trying to do in this world. Um, last week, um, 
Chris read this, verse 7, it says, To each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To everyone. Everyone who is a believer has gifts, abilities that the Holy Spirit has, has given them um, for the common good. But sometimes things can go awfully wrong when it comes to the spiritual gifts in the church. And if you have hung around church or read a little bit about church history, especially recent church history, um, or studied the book of Corinthians because they had the same problem, the spiritual gifts were used without the understanding of the heart of God, of what he was trying to accomplish. What is God trying to accomplish? What he set out to do in the beginning, to make man in his own image, to let us bear the image of the one true God, oneness. That is what he's trying to create. And what has sadly happened many times, it can very easily happen to us, is we can be thinking in terms of the spiritual gifts and the ways that God wants to use us, like me, how does God want to use me? What, what, what's, what's my purpose? It's not a terrible question to ask. It's a good question to ask. But it needs to be asked in the context of how do I fit in with God's plan for oneness of the church? Because that is so central to his heart and his mission. And when we think about the individual spiritual gifts apart from the big plan of oneness, well, that's when, that's when things can start to go, go haywire. How is it going haywire in, in this church? By the way, the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians was written to a church in Corinth. Um, so that's why I say this church. Um, if you're, by the way, if you're, if you're new to all this stuff, I understand sometimes I'm going to say things that might go over your head a little bit. I just want to say that's okay. We all start somewhere. And if you just keep coming and, and um, getting involved as much as you can, you, you'll, you'll understand more. But anyways... Uh, so uh, what was going on at this church? Well, if you keep reading, you can kind of figure out some of what was going on, some of the things that were going on that was not good. Um, pick up in verse 15. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I am, if, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would, for that reason, it would not, for that reason, stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts of the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I do not need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I do not need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. Okay, uh, there's a good amount of stuff going on here, actually, if we look close at, at verse after the verse. But first, I just want you to see the big point that he's trying to make, and it's not hard to see. He's, he's using a metaphor to talk about how we've all been given spiritual gifts to, to bless one another, to bless the church, to, to use 
in ministry, and we're different, just like the parts of the body are different. The, the, the purpose of the fingers, the eyes, are very different than the purpose of the ears and the nose, right? But, you know, we cannot judge one another, and we can't judge ourselves based on comparing ourselves to one another. You can't judge a nose by comparing it to an eye and say this nose is no good because you can't see with it, right? It's got a different purpose. Naturally, this, this is just, I don't know why we do this, but naturally, it's easy for us to, to judge others based on how we are, right? Uh, the way that I see this play out a lot of times in the church, I've been around a little while, I'm not too old, but I'm not too young. One of the ways that I've seen this play out is I notice there's really a, One of the ways that people are different, and this actually isn't just a spiritual thing, this is a personality thing. Way back in the day, I got a psychology degree, and sometimes I still remember some of that stuff. But some people are classified as thinkers, and some people are classified as feelers. It's, it's one of the Myers-Briggs if you ever got like the four letters, if you don't know what I'm talking about, forget it. But it's personality tests. Um, some people are thinkers and some people are feelers. Some people are very cerebral in how they just analyze the world and make decisions. And some people are a little more intuitive in how they feel things out. And it's easy to feel like, well, you should be like me, <laughs> you know? And a lot of times our spiritual gifts are very much connected with how God wired us, the personalities he's given us, the way that his spirit works in us. And if you notice, some of the spiritual gifts are kind of bent towards people who are those cerebral thinkers, teachers, uh, gifts of administration and leadership, those sorts of thinking gifts, right? And then there's other gifts that are a little more of that, like, feeling intuition, uh, namely um, the gift of prophecy. That's something that we'll talk about more in the coming weeks, but this idea of uh, getting a fresh word from God, hearing God's voice, or perhaps the spiritual gifts of, uh, of tongues. And if you don't know what that is, you're going to have to stick around pretty soon. We'll have a, a week where we talk about that in, in detail, the different points of view and things associated with that. But I've noticed that there's these different like personalities and, and what it says is like, you know, the, the ear can't say to the nose or the eye can't say to the feet, I don't need you, I don't need you. But I've found, unfortunately, in the church, sadly, that's, that's often what happens, just, just that. You'll have people who are more of that cerebral, like, teaching bent and they'll say, you guys over there are talking about wanting to feel out this fresh word from God. You want to hear a fresh word from God? We don't need you. We don't need that. We have a Bible. We have a Bible. We don't need to hear from God in that way. If you want to hear from God, open your Bible. And there's some truth there. If you want to hear from God, open your Bible. But the thing is, when you do open your Bible, you see the Bible tell you, earnestly desire that you may prophesy. So the Bible actually supports, you know, um, hearing from God with this fresh word. 
And then I've noticed that people over there on this side, a lot of times it's like, oh, we hear from God with our fresh word. And, you know, someone on the other side would say, well, you got to test that to the Bible. And sometimes people on this side can be like, you're being too religious. You know, you're trying to slow me down. Stop, stop quenching the spirit. And it's like, well, hold on. Actually, the scriptures say that we should not despise prophecy, but we should test it. And by test it, the first thing that means is test it with the word of God. Like, analyze it. All I'm trying to say is the hand needs the foot. You know, and the eyes need the ears and such. God made us different. Okay, this is true, actually. I have a Malamute. Where are you going with this? That's a dog, if you don't know. That's a dog. I have a Malamute. He's, he's, he's a beautiful dog. Um, and Malamutes, they kind of look like Siberian Huskies, only bigger, stronger. They're actually the strongest dog for weight pulling. They can pull more. There, there, there was a Malamute that pulled 5,000 pounds. No joke. And they were bred for this. They're created for this. He's a purebred. There are purebred dogs, and purebred dogs are typically um, created for a certain purpose. And for that reason, they have, a, a, they have their own unique strengths. Our dog, Caleb, he is very strong, okay? But with the purebreds come weaknesses. Namely, they have health defects because there's not as much genetic diversity. So they have much more health effects than you know, what you'd call a mutt. Also temperament issues. Purebred dogs have temperament issues for similar reasons. They were bred for a certain purpose, like pulling a sled rather than just chilling out, right? And so dogs that are, are, are not purebreds, Caleb is so smart but he doesn't care at all what you want, okay? Oh, he knows you don't want him to do this in any given moment. He doesn't care, okay? That's something that you're not going to find in a less stubborn mutt, if I could use that word. And this is what I can gather from the scriptures here. God's heart for the church is that we would be a mutt, okay? Because... We can, we, and this is what happens. This is what happens. Churches sometimes separate into people, like we're going to gather together just people who think like us and people who are wired like us. And you'll walk into some churches and it's so awfully cerebral that anyone who doesn't think in those terms is going to feel weird, unwelcome. They're not going to connect. Um, it's, it's, it's a purebred. They have their strengths. You can go in one of those churches and you can learn a lot. But there's something unhealthy there with lack of diversity, right? And the same thing goes with, you know, you might walk into another church and there's like so much feeling, you can't even walk in the door and you're feeling everything. But um, no one's asking tough questions of what's going on here, you know? Um, and things can be missed. So this is all to say, all to say, it's, it really seems like God's heart in this is that, that we would... We would not feel threatened by someone else who's really different from us. But we would have, this is a big word here, we would have the humility to realize that God made us per, different for a reason. Huh. Okay. Um, this is one of the most valuable leadership and just Christian, but definitely leadership uh, things that I've had to learn 
and that it has blessed me because I've learned it. Uh, I was a church planter, and when you're first a church planter, you're pretty much like the only one that's like calling the shots because it's really just you at first. And so things can move really quick, and you can do lots of things and make decisions. Just, hey, I want to buy that thing for the church. Buy it. Okay, whatever. You know, I'm going to rent out this spot. Go. Sign. But eventually, the church needs to grow, which is good, and you need other voices, which is good. And, um, and uh, we had this guy join our ranks, and he's just such a good, solid guy. You know, invited him to become an elder. He became an elder. Um, and I had to learn to love the voice of Wes Stefan. <laughs> Wes Stefan, who I do love, love dearly. But it challenged me because every time I would show up with this fresh, exciting idea, he, would, he had this like careful, he, he was so careful with everything he did. He would dot his I's and cross his T's and he would be the one who'd be like, wait a second, wait a second. And so every, I would get frustrated because every time I had this new exciting idea, I had to hear Wes Stefan say, wait a second, wait a second. But I learned to understand that Wes Stefan was a gift to me. He was a gift to our church. Because if I had the humility to hear Wes Stefan, and he had the humility, and he did, to hear me, and we could both recognize that God gave both of us to the church, together we could come out with a product, an idea that was both exciting and revolutionary and also tested and carefully considered, right? If I was left to my own devices, to my flesh, I could have easily just said, Wes, Stephen, that guy just needs to chill out. Who needs him? I don't need you, right? We could, I could make that mistake. And a lot of times we make that mistake, not only in churches, but in our marriages. Because you're not different, you're so different than me, I'm, I'm failing to actually listen to understand what God's trying to communicate to me through you. Those sorts of things. Um, this takes tremendous humility. And the humility is basically saying, all of the wisdom of God hasn't been given to me. <laughs> all of the nature of God, all of his heart hasn't just been given to me. Um, that person who's really different from me and thinks really different and acts really different, they're made in the image of God also. And together, only together, can we achieve the oneness that God really wants to see. Okay. Um, there's more I could say, but actually I'm going to just keep going. I really want to have time for questions. We're going to want to, I know this series has brought about a lot of questions. So I'm going to pick it up in verse 25. So that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second, prophets, third, teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret now eagerly desire the greater gifts, yet I will show you the most excellent way. Um, in two weeks, uh, our brother Basil is, is going to talk about the most excellent way, so I'm just going to leave that for now. Um, but, but, but here, here's a point that's obvious. Uh, what he was listing, if you're not familiar, was some of, not all of, some of the spiritual gifts. 
Um, like I, I mentioned prophecy, tongues, but there's, there's other ones. There's helping, there's guidance. Last week, Chris talked about some of these gifts and defined some of them. Um, so I won't really get into that too much. But I will say that the main point is obvious. When he says, you know, are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, do all work miracles, do all speak in tongues, all he's saying is the same thing. We're wired different. We're gifted different. So we shouldn't assume or, or, or think that people should be like us. Now, this is something I've said before. I'll say it again because I think it's really important. Um, two weeks ago, I think it was two weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, Two weeks ago, I talked about the birth of the charismatic movement, what is known now as the charismatic movement. Go back and listen to it if you weren't there. It, it, it was a blessing to the church because the church has exploded since that time. But even though that is a blessing to the church, and you're going to hear me affirm the gift of prophecy and tongues in the coming days, things like that, even though I am totally going to do that, I'm going to affirm that, one of the great weaknesses of the charismatic movement is very often there is an insistence that everyone should speak in tongues. And that is so unfortunate because I think that has been a huge hindrance to the growth of what otherwise is a really awesome work of God. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about with this whole tongues thing, just relax, it's okay. But the gift of tongues is very much real. It's hugely supported by the scriptures. We're actually told, do not forbid tongues. It's very, very important. It's, it's good. But it's not the most important, and that's actually a big point of this whole section, is that there's more important gifts, especially if there's no one to interpret. It's not helpful at all for the church gathered together. I'm getting ahead of myself. We're going to talk about all that in detail. But I do want to say here, a big point is, no, all do not speak in tongues. And just earlier you said we've all been baptized into one spirit. The point is, the same spirit manifests in different ways through different people. That's one of the ways the Holy Spirit manifests himself. But there's other ways. Um, and we need to acknowledge that and encourage that and, and walk in that truth with one side not criticizing the other, right? Okay, uh, what else? Um, there is something else I want to say, actually. What does this look like? What does this look like when this is functioning well? I feel like I actually got a taste of it on Tuesday. Tuesday was beautiful. And some of you were here, and you know, Tuesday night, I'm talking about Tuesday night was powerful. We had a worship night, and what we did is put a microphone right here, and uh, we said, anyone, anyone can come up. If, God, if you feel like God has put a scripture on your heart, you can come up and read a scripture. If you have a testimony to share of how God has blessed you, come up and share a testimony. If you feel like you just have an encouragement for the church, if you feel like God has laid something on your heart, is here, you can, you can do that. And, and we worship together. And, um, and we prayed for the Holy Spirit to lead us. And a couple of people shared passages that were on their heart. And uh, uh, Becky came up and shared a, a testimony of how God had, had recently taken care of their family and helped them. And then I came up, and me, you know, I can kind of be on both ends of the thinker-feeler scale, by the way, but I was just doing some thinking about these verses that were shared, and I noticed that there's, there's a concept that was repeated. I was like, and, and, and listening to Becky's story, I kind of was putting the pieces together a little bit, and I was like, it seems like 
what these passages have in common is like God's protection. Like it's like God, God is just saying that he's taking care of us. And I, and I said, someone else has something to say here. Someone else has something to say. God is, is speaking to us. So if you're nervous, I want you to come up. And then Sonia comes up crying. And she says, right before Pastor Charlie said that, I said to Mike, her husband, I said to Mike, I think God wants us to know that he's protecting us. Like God had put that on her heart right before I said, that's what I noticed in the scriptures. And it was this beautiful moment where together, through different people sharing passages, through Becky sharing a story, through Sonia sharing what I would say would be a word of prophecy, just sensing a feeling from God that we sh I should say this. Through my interpretation of the scriptures, together he was speaking to all of us. I am your Lord. I am your God. I'm caring for you. I'm taking care of you. Um, it was beautiful. By the way, we're going to do that again. Mark your calendars, February 11th, and the Spanish church is going to join us. We'll have some uh, people interpreting, so we'll be able to do this together. I don't know how it's going to go, but I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. Last thing I'm going to say, Adrian, come up. Last thing I'm going to say, if you want to experience God, understand that his heart is oneness. So if you want to experience to be used by God, understand that it's namely largely not going to happen in your bedroom alone. It's going to happen just like it happened on Tuesday, collectively, and the church coming together, because oneness is really the height of who God is, and that's, that's how we want to experience it. So if you want to know how shall I be used by God, get involved any way you can. Show up to anything you can. And you'll discover as you're together, you'll discover the ways that God wants to use you. So Father God, lead us. Lead us now in this time of Q&A and, and Lord, pour out your spirit in us so that we can embody your oneness for the world to see. Amen. Thank you, Charlie. So I'm sure that uh, this message sprung up a few questions in your minds. If you have any questions that you'd like to ask, you can raise your hand if you're in the room or if you're online, or if you don't want to ask it out loud and you're in the room, you can just text it to the number on the screen. Um, so first of all, are there any questions here in the room? Oh, back there. Good morning, Pastor Charlie. Uh, my question is, the early charts in the books of us, uh, God's servant used in a mighty way with signs, wonders, and miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Nowadays, signs, wonders, and miracles is no longer manifested. Is there any reason behind and why? Uh, who says that they're no longer manifested? Um, I certainly believe they are. It wasn't that long ago. I talked to a woman right over there uh, that right after a service, um, she was blind in one eye and doctors couldn't really help her. And right on the spot being prayed for in this room, God gave her sight back to her eye. Um, 
with that being said, I want more of it. I want more. Um, it's, it's a longer conversation. But here's one thing that I see and I have been saying. When brothers dwell in unity, it's what the scriptures say, or brothers and sisters, when the church dwells in unity, there God has commanded his blessing. And if I had to say, if there's a lack of signs, wonders, miracles, the way that we read about in the book of Acts, if there is a lack, and I would suggest that there is, I would like to see more than what there is um, now. If there's a lack, and I was to say why, I would say, if there's anything, I would say that the church has not really, we've not operated in the oneness that God has called us to. We've not walked in humility and unity, I feel like, in the way that God has called us to. Um, and you have churches often criticizing one another and Christians criticizing one another. But the scriptures say is when, when we dwell in unity, there God has commanded his blessing. So the reason why I spent so much time today talking about unity and humility and walking together is because I want to see those sorts of things. I want to see revival. I want to see powerful gifts of the Spirit working among us. And I feel like the best thing we can do to prepare ourselves for such things is to walk in unity and humility together. Um, but I certainly believe in signs, wonders, miracles, and um, that, if you caught it, is some of the spiritual gifts that God has, has uh, gifted people in the church. So, yeah. You must start. Any other questions in the room? Oh, back there. Um, good morning, guys. So my question from last week, you didn't see my hand risen for like the, most of the service after. Um, the gift of prophecy, we talked about it last week a lot and we still talk about it. In my understanding and interpretation of the Bible, Jesus was the fulfillment of all prophecies. So are there more prophecies? And... If we say you have the gift of prophecy, could it be interpreted like a message from God to you personally, but all other prophecies about the Messiah and God with us, etc., have been fulfilled? We don't need more messages. It's all there in the Bible. Okay, great, great. Jesus is the embodiment of God's character. He is the fullness of God. All the fullness of God dwells in Jesus. But at the same time, uh, yes, the scriptures say, uh, you know, we're going to see it in a little bit, earnestly desire the higher gifts, especially that you may prophesy, as in you should desire to hear from God. And sometimes, like I think of when the Apostle Paul, same person who wrote 1 Corinthians, he wrote to his friend Timothy, he said to him, remember the prophecy that was spoken over you um, about you. We don't even know what it was, but remember the prophecy that was spoken over you about you. Um, that's the sort of what I would call like a fresh word from God. Like I can read the scriptures and I can, I can learn many things. Um, but the idea that God is going to give a, 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 a word that's just for me, like he gave for Timothy, that, uh, that inspires me. And that makes me want to say, what is it, Lord? Um, 
Do we need prophecy today apart from scriptures? I don't think we need it in the sense of the scriptures say that uh, all scripture is God-breathed and sufficient for all works of righteousness. So I'm not going to say we need to hear a fresh word from God for us to be able to continue to, to walk in Christ. But, I mean, I can survive on one thing, but sometimes there's... There's a lot of things I don't need that I can be blessed by, right? Things that can still help me. And the scriptures, I think it's really clear when it says desire to prophesy, to prophesize, and um, um, do not despise prophecy, but test everything. I think it's very clear that God still is speaking to his church. If you were here on Tuesday, I'd say you saw that when when uh, we showed that, we saw that God is, is, was together speaking to us. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah. Are there any other questions uh, here? We haven't gotten anything through the text line. Oh, right back there. Oh, over there, yeah. The back row, you guys are like holding it down tonight. Good morning. Um, this is more of a comment than a question, actually, uh, in response to the gentleman over there. I think in the Western world, we're getting too complacent in our faith. I remember when I was in BC, um, our church there had a mission in Ukraine. Uh, one of our pastors was planting churches over there. And one of those pastors um, was invited by our church to visit our church once, so they paid for the trip and everything. And he was there, and they showed him the grocery stores, the malls, talk to him about social services and all those stuff we have. So the next Sunday, he was preaching, and through the interpreter, the first word out of his mouth were, I'm going to have to ask my congregation to pray for your faith. Because he says, it must be so hard to keep your faith here and trust God for everything, because you lack nothing. If you lose your job, you have welfare. Even if you don't have a lot of money, there's grocery stores. He says, where I am in my church, I have five families living under the roof of the church because they have nowhere to go. They don't have any work. If we don't pray, we don't eat. We don't have anything. So I think we don't see the miracles because for a lot of us, we don't need to see the miracles. But they are there. I mean, I've seen them at work in my life, my husband's life, so many times. Amen. No, I think that's straight up. I think that's totally true. It's, it's the prayers of desperation <laughs> that are often the prayers that we really bring to God. <laughs> so it's, it's when we're brought to our knees, that's often when we pray. A lot of times we don't pray until we're really brought to our knees. And desperation has a way of doing that. Thank you for that. Yeah. All right, that brings us to the end of our time for Q&A. Thank you guys so much for those questions.